All right. Um, we've got a question. Another question from uh, Matt Morgan Wrightworth. Um, oh, cool. When did you know you'd become a professional artist? Oh, is that what I am? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you I'm, aren't, this would be I'm, the best place for you to uh, give that announcement because we would. Get yeah, I, I'm an artist. So. I'll leave professional up to the to the critics. But um, no, I. When did I know? I I never. I never asked the question somehow, but like de definitely, as I said in the last episode, there was a switch from this vague idea of like being a writer, being a philosopher, being into art somehow to like, oh, it's a visual thing. And that was obviously based on external forces of like, what am I, what, what are people interested in and what am I being accepted for? And therefore what, what might work as a path for me? Um, but I, I, guess that from the very beginning from when i was a young kid i just had an assumption that i was going to do something vaguely in that territory like telling um, stories exactly like like all the people around me in in my childhood were you know professional storytellers or somehow professionally involved in culture in some way and so it was just an assumption for me that that, that would be where my my road took me like my dad uh, actually was a financial advisor. And so he, he like a couple of times he tried to rope me into that. He's like, oh, my son's going to take over the whole family business when he grows up. And I was like, yeah, no, I just work here. Cause I can like use the printer when you're not looking and like, pr <laughs> like print off my artistic inspiration and pin it up at home. And like you know, at, at some point he, he got that. And uh, yeah, when I was, when I was living over in Bali, he came over at one point and, um, I mean, we, we, uh, my, my parents split when I was young and, but I, I, I always saw him, but, but less often than I did my mom. And so when I was living in Bali, he came over to visit for a couple of weeks. And, and for the first time he like lived in this house that I had set up as my art studio and had my painting stuff. And, and I just remember like seeing it click for him, like that this was what I did and that it was going to be what I did for the rest of my life. And that I was relatively good at it. And like seeing his fascination with what I was doing the way that I was always looking at him and being fascinated by what he did for work was, was really cool. So yeah, to answer the question, I, I think it was always an assumption, but it was probably more the moment that I realized I was an artist rather than that I was going to be one. There's like a, a gradual process of like, Oh, this is, this is it. It's becoming stable now. You know, my mom isn't bringing me frozen soup anymore, you know, because I can't afford uh, food. I can pay my own bills now. Cool. You know, that that series of signals from the world of like, oh, and now now like I'm good enough that that artists are interacting with me online. Oh, I'm good enough that D&D &D wants me. Oh, I'm good enough that I'm being poached from one company to a to a higher brand like those gradual feedback signals from the world that tell you like, yes, what what you're doing is working continue and then at some point uh at some point you stop getting that positive feedback and it's up to you what you want to do and and you have to learn to like set your own standards of acknowledgement from from you know internally of like what do i need to see in my own work to know myself that i'm i'm on track that i'm a my that i fulfill my idea of what it means to be an artist and and that's that's where i'm at now that's what my 30s are about I mean, that assumption that you talked about in the last episode of just you kind of assume that everybody had that viewpoint of right. creativity and imagination. So this question and kind of like you said, it, it was always an assumption. There wasn't really doubt because 
your brain didn't really think of a different world. Like it was just, that's how things are. That's how things are going to be. Now I found my niche or I found my way that I'm going to tell these stories. Yeah. But doesn't everybody, you know, and and I mean, it's not like I I thought everyone was an artist, you know, uh, obviously I, I, but you know, the other difference I guess is that in Australia, we don't, there's not quite the same, professional competitive thing in the arts because like for a number of reasons but one of the main ones being that art school isn't this incredibly hideously expensive debt that hangs over you for 20 years like like it can be in the US and there's not this ultra competitive thing of like okay I want to work for magic I have to get my portfolio ready and then I have to go to comic con and I have to get that time in front of an art director like mm-hmm. we just don't have those opportunities and therefore we're a bit naive and we grow up with I mean probably not now, but when I grew up without the internet, definitely. So it was a bit of a, like, I bumbled my way into it, you know? And I think that if I was the same age and grew up in the U S I probably would have had a lot more of a fire under my ass and a lot more fear and a lot more, you know, anxiety about getting that work because I was surrounded by other people that were hustling to do it, you know? So, um, yeah, I, I, I lucked into it. And at the same time, I think that it was my naive, uh, confidence and enthusiasm that probably got me in the door because I was the one that, you know, turned up to an art workshop in Massachusetts barefoot coming out of the jungle of Bali. Like, Oh, Hey guys, what's up? Oh, magic. That's cool. I'd like to do some magic cards. And he's like, who is this guy? Like who's this <laughs> dripping in, in prayer beads and rings and jewelry and wearing a sarong. Like, yeah, we'll take him. He's, he's weird. You know, I think if I turned up trying to get the job, I probably would have stuffed it up, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so um our next question comes again from at wobbles which is a very interesting question i think from seeing the the art world versus the play world that we've talked about that intersect between the fact that this is still a game there is a commercial aspect to it yeah and he kind of asks do you prefer illustrating a card that isn't powerful but has an interesting art description or a powerful card that has more prescribed directions And that's, I understand it's kind of a, I mean, if somebody who doesn't play the game a ton, that might be a very difficult thing to answer in the sense that you don't, I guess, know what the card is going to be at the end. But I, but I do think that that's the interesting, like the obvious answer is, well, I'm just an artist, so I want the interesting art direction, but okay. What is interesting art direction? Like you know, in a game where literally everything is meant to be a cool image, all of the briefs are cool. Mm-hmm. You know, they're all equally visually meant to be. I mean, it's up to you to make them all equally visually impressive and do the best painting you've ever done, if possible. So what is interesting art direction? Well, it could actually be a reprint of a powerful card and being like, oh, now I have something to latch onto here. Mm-hmm. Like now I, I have some expectations to live up to. Mm-hmm. I have a bit of history behind this card. So you know, maybe it's more important that it's a card with an identity in the game rather than it's it's literal card power, which, mm-hmm. you know, probably the only reason that's going to matter to me is, you know, if it's a card that's likely to do well in terms of selling the original painting. Yep. Um, but I... Or play mats and... Exactly. Really... But, but unless it's a reprint, I'm not going to know that. So, yep. um, you know, and I'm not a predominantly character artist, so I, I guess I would know if it was going to be an angel or a planeswalker or something like that. But I, I mean, that was the one thing I was thinking. You know, if you get a planeswalker, you you at least have the idea that it's probably going to be meant to be powerful. Now, whether how much play it'll see is a very different question. 
right but getting like frail lease you have a history as element and you know that there's more of a prescribed probably direction and yeah. you're getting to do a creature that or a character that we haven't seen fully yeah so i i would say that my my two favorite scenarios are getting a a genuinely interesting different uh art brief that surprises me that mm -hmm. that is you know which is that stuff we talked about before like something weird and abstract or something like really central to the mythology of the game where they're happy for me to 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 play on the edges of, of what's possible in magic or something with a really tight expectation and and like really how can i how can i speak to the history of this thing and, and do a good job and 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 uh make it rewarding for the players uh sorry you but you did leave off your third prompt that you would love to get which is a legendary or planeswalker goblin of some right sort. yeah I yeah mean... yeah exactly oh that's that's part of the 60 foot oil painting in the castle okay good it, i was gonna say central central yeah. central figure because i mean it's yeah. just i think your talent's being wasted I, I i see you as probably a goblin artist that hasn't had that opportunity <laughs> as long as you don't see me as a goblin i guess that's... <laughs> <laughs> well, i mean we see everybody as goblins yeah actually you know goblins in a weird way were kind of probably if i had to look at the very first most influential um pop culture or, or entertainment thing that influenced me the the first and second movies that i ever saw were the dark crystal and the labyrinth and the labyrinth was like all time like mm -hmm. like i dreamt about that for 10 years you know so yeah, actually, they they've just announced um, a Dark Crystal Netflix. Yep. Uh, and I actually worked on, like, I don't know, ten years ago. I worked on what was going to be a, a follow up film, and I believe from watching the trailer that they must have gotten that work that I did for the for that and fed it into the Netflix guys because there's a couple of moments in that trailer that that speak pretty clearly to the work that I did so I'm gonna I'm excited about showing that I think it's like late August it comes out yeah and I'll be yeah. able to I'll be able to upload that art that's awesome I mean yeah yeah so okay well then we know that there's some goblins, so goblins the are in there somewhere yeah they're, they're on their way they're on their way so yeah. wizards if you're listening planeswalker <laughs> and let us you know Preview it. We're just saying. Is there is there a planeswalker goblin? Not yet. There is. Is that Doretti. Uh huh. Doretti is a planeswalker goblin. Um, All right. I'm and... gonna I'm gonna actually I'm gonna I mean I think I have enough clout to actually send them an email and be like wink wink nudge nudge if this I, comes up let I, me know. I mean, okay, we would just love it. I mean, just, I mean, we, yeah. <laughs> so we are we've already been pushing lately. I mean, our joke is that we're put, pushing for better representation of goblins and magic. Uh huh. Uh -huh. So. Nice. Yeah. All right. Um, so we got uh, another question here. Uh, at Vorthos Mike asks, uh, you, you can paint traditional art, uh, yeah. non-digital, and do so. So where are all of your work? <laughs> <laughs> Prove it, buddy. Buddy, get, get um, it out on the market here. Yeah, I mean, this is this is something I spoke a little bit to before about uh, the nature of the personal work that I'm doing, this, this boundary with... Uh, you know, going into spaces that don't allow photography and, and the, my work is dealing with these questions of privacy and what do you show? So lately, a big part of that is I've just done a big body of work in these private spaces. I don't want to plaster that all over Instagram, which would be the, the antithesis of 
of the mm-hmm. thing that created that culture in the first place. So I'm still figuring out what I do with that. Like, do I, do I just respectfully show that body of work as a body of work rather than like spamming it all over Instagram over time? Do I not share it online, but I publish it and I, and I maybe promote that it's been published on social media, but, but keep the experience private mm-hmm. to that publication. Uh, or like, even do I do I just keep it for a local audience like that? That would be hard for me to do because I'm excited to get it out. But there's a part of me that's like maybe it's just meant to stay with the audience that was a part of of its creation. That's one answer for for now. Um, the other answer would be that you know it's been a it's always been a process of balancing magic with personal work, mm-hmm. and so I do at least in certain periods when I've been more interested in social media than others, I have shared a lot of personal work. Um, but, a you know, a big, big part of my practice that maybe separates me from, from other artists is that um, my practice is in the world. So I am an oil painter. I do want to do big finished uh, elaborate oil paintings, but over time I've realized that, that, what really makes me me is that I sit in cafes and I draw people and I talk to people and I go to clubs or I go to events or I travel. And, you know, my, my daily artistic practice is to be in the world with a sketchbook and a pen. And, uh, my personal Instagram is full of that stuff. Um, you know, so, so it is out there, but I've never, I've never had to, um, present my work as a fine artist with consistency and, and gallery style. And, and um, yeah, they're all, they're all open questions for me about what that should look like and how I should balance my time. Um, all, all I will say is that uh, I have, since I moved to Berlin, I've done so much art and it is, it's there. It's stuff that I want to share. It's just a matter of, of timing and how I want to deliver that and how I want to balance my, my online presence between magic, between other things. And mm-hmm. yeah. And I think one thing that Mike would probably yell at me if I don't talk about would be the, the magic art market and yeah. the changes on that too. And you mentioned the sketching piece is something that you like to do. I mean, that's actually a big part of your art world is going out and interfacing with people, just yeah. people watching, drawing people. That I mean, it almost sounds like kind of that concept art world where you're kind of getting those initial ideas down. I mean, I'm thinking of when we get a style guide from like Wayne Reynolds that we've seen stuff from where he kind of gives the representations. Um, Mike would want to know, do you have things like sketches from your magic stuff that is stuff that you would put out there or that you would look at making available at this point where there there is a market for it and a changing market? Yeah, I definitely, I definitely, now that I'm, I'm so aware of it, I'm, I'm more conscientious about making that part of my process. I didn't always, I certainly, uh, I mean, I did it a lot of the time, but I didn't usually keep them. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, actually for the most part, the, the sketches that I, that I have maybe 50% are done in my very personal journal and they're like on the back of a page oh yeah you know, it's like a, <laughs> me my naked self portrait in the mirror with my you know kaladesh thumbnails on the back yeah. like yeah. i don't really know if that's available so much yeah um yeah. so yeah like as i said i'm i'm gonna bring over what i have uh it's very incomplete and and patchy coverage 
and you know that's that's just the best that i can do like my my creative life is is super busy and i also don't want to promise you know going forward that i'm going to yeah. continue doing the oil paintings and sketches like i really don't right. know how i want to manage uh, that that balance of time but um it's an interesting question when you talk about the commercialization piece or knowing that yeah. just, you have passionate art fans in this gaming world that yeah. that want this stuff and I know personally, I don't want to see you change your process for that sake. I mean, and I think most artists are going to say that, even though there may be a market for doing that. And that's a whole other discussion. But yeah, your authentic self also has elements of these sketches and these oils and these drawings that you have. And I know that we have a passionate market that would love to have those in their hands, that would love to be displaying that. Yeah. yeah which yeah. is I a mean, very powerful thing. Like I'm using it to 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 help me. Like, okay, what what part of this um, really interests me and is going to feed back into my personal work and, and give mm -hmm. me good training. And like, I don't know, a lot of people ask me for play mats and I'm like, yeah, like it, it's actually probably the easiest thing for me to do and even to mm -hmm. put in someone else's hands. Mm -hmm. But I, I just haven't gotten around to it because it's not something that, that really relates in any way to the rest of what I do. Whereas, yeah. uh, you know, oil painted color studies like i've never done those before i've never felt the need to do a color study before i did a painting but i've never oil painted on a tight timeline like this into a brief like i'm so used to that flexibility of the digital process mm -hmm. and now i'm like doing the color studies like oh this is super important like i get why why these things exist so yeah. i'm really happy to have those out there and and you know way way back in the day when i was getting some advice from a friend on the fine art world he was like you know, you, you have to respect that, that there are going to be people at all different levels that want to buy into you and your journey and this story that you're on and, and like you as an artist, and you have to give someone at every level, the opportunity to join you on that journey from free all the way up to like the mega collector who wants the one-off best painting that you've ever done, yes. you know, and, yep. and there's big holes in that spectrum between, you know, a, a white back sketch and, a, or a proof sketch and a, and a 36 inch oil painting, you know, so I will navigate that and be creative about cool stuff that maybe no one's done before and, and stuff that fans will get a real kick out of Yeah, um, up to the point where it, it doesn't um, serve anything other than an economic purpose, in which case I would drop it. Right. That doesn't really interest me. So we have stuff coming. You're you're you got you're making coming. a you're making a promise right here. Right I'm making now. super vague promises that I super can go vague back promises. on if I want to. <laughs> yeah, like oh, I offered no, no. something really interesting. You guys just didn't see it. No, I mean, yeah. I mean, definitely, like like right here in the studio now. I know I have like a good. 20, 30 things that I'm that I'm waiting to be able to put out there. So yeah, it's on the way. We'll be looking. It's in the pipe. <laughs> we'll be looking. It's in the pipeline. Yeah. We'll get to the you know, and just just like I mean, not not to be hyperbolous, but I, you know, the the amount of support from this community, like it it's humbling and it's even embarrassing at some point to to be supported not just by a company that has a profit incentive in this, but but by people that just do it for the love of it and like you know, everything from a, from a signature through to someone that buys a painting is like equally for me, equally uh, humbling. And, and I, I take that support that people offer with, with maximum gratitude, really like 
in in every way possible even even the people that just you know there are some people that just want it because of their love for the game and their their interest in the art is kind of tangential but even that like i feel it as man like thank you thank you for for being even just interested enough in the game to reach out to me and and to ask for a signature or a sketch or something like that so yeah it's it's kind of a crazy ride to be on uh, to to be a part of this magic world so um our next mailbag question actually comes from uh let's see at Hobbs Q um, on Twitter, and he wants to know. Yeah, we have to include all the fans. Um, he wants to know: Have you heard of Vintage Artists Constructed? Yeah, uh, only because of uh, a guy named Mike. Actually. <laughs> some some scrub, <laughs> some guy. Uh, yeah. yeah, no. I, I apparently I've just kind of recently made the cut. I have enough yep. now that that I'm worth uh, being a part of that world. So yes, I have. What do you think of that? Is it, is it, I mean, I'm just interested. I mean, you, like you said, there is this idea. There are those of these people like Hobbs Q out there that look when a set comes out and wants to know what has this artist done? Does this push them into a new realm? Um, looking at a card from that evaluation of does this go with somebody who has, you know, there, there are artists out there that have hundreds of pieces and we can't build a deck around them because they're missing lands. Right. Or, we have people that have been kind of like you and Titus for a while that we had all the lands in yeah. the mana base, but how did we win a game? You know, right, like, right, right, right. Yeah. I mean, I, it's really funny. Like when I, when I think about like the, the, you know, turning a, a vintage artist constructed match into like an animated magic feature film, <laughs> I see like the scene from the Simpsons where Bart and Lisa have like saucepans on their head and they're like, they're, 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 they're like battling each other. Like we'd be the most loser planeswalkers ever. Like two artists battle off in the multiverse. <laughs> like, how do I hold this sword? <laughs> um, so like that would be hilarious for a start just to like imagine that but i think you know i think what's what happens with something like vac is this kind of like as an artist i'm like ooh, like I, i'm so used to a one-way relationship being commissioned to do work but now there's a bunch of people that desire to to base their game that they're playing around my work as an artist it's up to me to go to magic and say you know, hey, there's people that want this stuff, and with their help, <laughs> I understand like what what I would need in my repertoire of of cards in order for that to work. Would you mind throwing me a goblin? Would you mind throwing me a planeswalker or whatever? And you know, this opens up a really interesting relationship to have with a client that you know I'm so used to just saying yes to whatever they give me. I've never really pushed back and said I you know I really would appreciate this or that. Uh, and you know, if, if I've earned anything by, by being a consistent artist and, and doing 200 cards, maybe it's the right to, to go back and say, you know, can I have this? Can I have that? And, and, and that gets me more involved as, as a midpoint between the players that love the game and the people that, that commission me to create it. So that's, that's fun. Uh, I, I'm definitely, you know, I don't, I don't know what you would need. Like, I mean, if you can tell me what, I need to get commissioned. I can get right on that. <laughs> <laughs> We've already said it. I want full goblin tribal. I want, right. you know, all goblins moving forward for a while. No, but yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it is this interesting idea that I've, uh, it also could theoretically open up space for you to try out new things that you may not have the strengths in. Um, yeah. So if you're not somebody that's used to doing characters or specific creatures, 
but you know that that could be beneficial to this world yeah. or also it, it could impact your learning as an artist. Yeah, definitely. At Morgan Wrightworth asks, uh, do you have any tips for getting better at art? Uh, how did you do so? <laughs> well, you know, there's a million, there's going to be a million answers to this question out there already that, that are, that are obvious. Um, so what's different? What's different about what I did? I think I would answer that question by where, where do artists go wrong? Like what's missing? What stops you from being an artist or what stops you from being a, a great artist? And I think not that I am one, but, but I'm certainly trying to go in that direction. I think the worst thing that you can do is to allow your practice as an art maker to disconnect you from the world that inspired you to make that art in the first place. So the, the, the short-term view of how do I get better as an artist is, is obvious. Like you practice, you get critique, you work hard. Same way you get good at anything. What you don't want to neglect is the long-term thing of like, how am I going to carry this through a lifetime, through 60 years of, of art making? What do I need to hold on to? What's precious? What's really me? What's, what's driving me underneath all of this? So my advice would be to, to think about your art making practice, like to kind of pull back from that, zoom back from that and ask not, you know, who do I want to work for? What game do I want to, you know, how do I become a concept artist? But like, how do I want to spend my days? Do I want to be inside on a computer 10 hours a day, seven days a week to make a film? do I want to be outside? And maybe the answer is yes. Like I, I say that and it sounds like I'm, I'm dissing it, but maybe the answer is yes. Maybe I want to be a part of a team. Maybe I want to be on my own. Maybe mm -hmm. I want to paint in my underwear. Maybe I, maybe what's most important to me is spending time with my kids because I want to have a family. Maybe it's being out in nature and constructing a, a, a an art practice and a lifestyle that's going to keep you uh, inspired and, and happy. For me, that's um, I always want my work to be happening out in the world. So I'm going to structure my life so that I can afford to travel. I'm going to buy gear that keeps me mobile as much as I would love to have a big fat tower with neon lights and, you know, whatever. Like I'm going to stick with a laptop or an iPad Pro and um, finding that synergy between the art you make and the life that you live and most importantly, always, always trying to create art from some kind of experience that you've had, which can be an external experience, a memory of a, of a time in nature or, or travel or whatever, or it can be the memory of a dream, or it can be something that relates to, to a real feeling that you have from, from, your, from your life. But to, to not let your art kind of drift away into you can get very good at knowing what other people want and what other people are going to see when they look at your image and you can start to create for them. And it's much more difficult to always continue to create for yourself with an understanding of how that's going to come across to someone else and to balance that. Like, this is for me, this is what I believe in doing, but I'm also skillful enough to make sure that it makes sense to someone else and it's, and it's fun for someone else to look at. So, um, 
yeah, that would be my advice. And and to keep a sketchbook, like to to keep a journal, to not just use that sketchbook for for practice or for push-ups or for showing off, but to keep it as a real record of yourself because you know, 10 or 20 years from now, the most valuable artistic thing that you're going to have is your body of work. And to look back through those journals and be like, right, like I was having this thought 10 years ago, this is part of who I am, you know, or look, look how my mind has changed from this, this way that I used to think to now, like those are the precious things, not, not the like 50 hour drawing of a dragon that you did in your sketchbook 10 years ago that, that, you know, Plus it was just, just, just practice. Unless dragons are like a deep part of your soul. Yeah, and they should be. Yeah, and they should be. But yeah. I mean, you're really describing kind of a value-driven life. Um, so coming in from my area, that's that's the field yeah. that I kind of do is working with people who um, have had that where their life has been interrupted. They're not really the, the, the idea of purpose and meaning. Um, this comes about mainly with older people that I work with because, like you yeah. said, if you have somebody who has been doing a job for 40 years and that actually is a huge part of their identity and they're no longer able to do it for whatever reason, mm -hmm. that idea of how do I now find purpose and meaning when my values have, it's hard to, how am I going to get those values fulfilled if I can't do what I wanted to do? Or as you're saying at a younger point in your career, how am I going to keep this going? How am I going to keep the drive? You just described values. I mean, you described yeah. traveling, you described wanting to be mobile, you described wanting to be able to have something at your hands at all time. Those are the values. And that's what's keeping you right now motivated or keeping that drive going in some ways. Yeah, It may change in 10 years. Having yeah. that ability to look back on that is important. And also realizing that if you get to the point where you can't do that, or you have to change what it, how are you going to adapt? And I think that that's very mindful yeah. of something that you're thinking of. And, and, and also like to, to know that you know, in, in the phases of a career, you know, you're probably going to have to bury some things for a while that will come up again later. Like whether that's in the beginning, like some of these great ideas that you just don't have the skill to accomplish, they're going to have to wait. And then you're going to have a career and you're going to have to like work on commercial stuff that, that you maybe don't want to be working on and that stuff's on hold. And you, I think if you just leave it to the side and and just leave it in your mind and try and remember it it's i think there's a real danger of that slipping away and so i think like for me the sketchbook is like every day i can do a, a 20 second thumbnail of a thought that comes to mind and that's enough like it's real i made it real it's there i'm not going to forget it that's who i really am and like I mean, for sure, my most precious possession are, are like these hundreds of sketchbooks that I have, you know, like that they're not not just for the work that's in them, but they're like a, a symbol to me that at no point did I give up that personal side of myself. Like it is a continuous record of that being a, an alive presence in my life. So, Alex, I know that you're getting ready to go to a writing convention that you go to every year. And I'm guessing that part of this probably translates into that life where you kind of have your job mm -hmm. and then you have your, your writing world or your, th that side of the world building. Yeah. Well, and, and this relates a lot to something I'm working on right now. Cause I actually, I've written two novels, but I haven't written for, for years. I kind of set that aside some number of years ago. I was having a tough time and just kind of stopped working on it. 
And so now I'm going back and thanks to the magic of Dropbox and Google Drive and things, I have all of this stuff just archived that I had been writing, not just the novels themselves, but all the planning documents, all the places where I had little thoughts and I threw things out there and I'm going through now and reading documents that I created in 2011, planning for the first draft of the book and then things after the first draft and thoughts. And I'm trying to collect some of this together to kind of get myself back on track to working on these projects again. And so that was yeah. very, I did that entirely by accident, but I'm super glad that I did. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff like that, that, oh, I wish I knew that when I was 15, you know, and I, it was something that I saw that was uh, like, you know, okay, how old are you? How uh, many book, How many books do you read a year? Okay. How many years have you got left? Okay, yeah. you, you you have the chance to read another 40 books before you die. Like, remember that. Like, the next book you buy is, <laughs> is like 140th. Whatever that is. Like, oh maybe God. maybe you read 40 books a, a month, you know. But, <laughs> but like, to think in those kind of scales, yep. you know, like, yep. like, like everything I do each day is a part of my life that, that is now behind me. And, and what's, what did that contain, you know? And, it, you know, it should, it should either contain a moment that is really special and isn't recorded, or it should contain something really cool that you made out of that time. You know? yeah. Well, but, we're going to move into just some nice lighthearted questions to kind of end this. Cause we've had some really oh, nice, well, right, I know, but I we got fun. Come on. Come on. Yes. Because this actually translates into something you talked about earlier, but it's from Wobbles again, yeah. who asks, what is a print reprint that you would most like to be commissioned for? Which does oh, get into oh, that. Oh, you powerful. think this is you think this is gonna be light? Do you? Damn it. I tried my best. I would I would like to be commissioned for a reprint of Terra by Adam Rex. <laughs> <laughs> the darkest painting in magic. I mean that's um, that, that fits with your tool imagery and yeah, everything. Totally. So no, I, and, that, and that would be he, cool. He actually he he did a shout out to Odd Nerdrum as well. Someone I think asked him on Twitter or something, and he was like, Yeah, I was looking at Odd Nerdrum at the time. Nice. Um, but like what a what a freaking cool artwork that is like i love it and just like i don't know the subtlety of the fact that they're just eating the foot like it's such a weird like kind of mm -hmm. thing you know it's it's not like a full urabura style eating half the body yep. just the, the foot in the mouth and uh also he has that that light in the middle of the image thing like i think i, I think i think it would stand out as my all-time favorite piece of magic art that one and it's 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 partly because it um, yeah, has that sun right in the middle. So I would love to do a, I'd love to do a reprint of that guy and, and I would God. be completely overwhelmed and, and terrified to do it, which I guess would be the feeling that I would take into painting terror. <laughs> it's awesome too, because you can actually get, uh, there, there is a, um, wizards put out a full art, um, Adam Rex to that, yeah. um, wallpaper that you can yeah. get for your computer. It's just yeah. beautiful. Okay. See, that was pretty lighthearted. Yeah, that was, that was good. That was good. Yeah. Um, next, we want to kind of simply know uh, what is your favorite tribe in Magic? You don't have to say the obvious answer because we already know it. So second favorite tribe in Magic. And if you had to pick a guild, which of the 10 would it be? And this comes from at ACM underscore goodnight. Uh, favorite guild. Probably, I don't know, Simic. I think I don't know why. Maybe because I'm a Pisces. There's a bit of a like fishy vibe in me somewhere. 
<laughs> well, they have, that, they have like, that natural connection. I mean, different than Selesnya's approach. I like Selesnya. I was going to say Selesnya, so I'm, I'm definitely like, yeah, I'm, I'm showing my my hippie nature boy colors well, here. But uh, we've already yeah. discovered. Yeah, it's the 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 pull to nature, even though Simic is experimenting with nature um, and making new creations out of it. I actually yeah. Simic actually makes a lot of sense from my view of what we've talked to you about. I mean, it's yeah the natural world and what can become of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I would say probably goblins. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Right, yes. guys? Yeah. 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 Um, I, mean, yeah. I I dig elves. I like elves and goblins. Yeah, I guess I'm pretty pretty classic and Tolkienian in that way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there is a dual deck of elves versus goblins out uh -huh. there. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Awesome. And then I think but yeah, uh, it's another tricky one to answer as a non-player. I think yeah. it's like yeah, it's, it's whichever one right I'm answer. painting at the moment is no, the you pick the right answer. <laughs> it is goblins. Um, we're gonna end with probably my favorite question that we got uh, from at Kyle C Carson. What brought you to Team Beard? <laughs> uh, little little known fact: I have never shaved my beard. Ever, wow! In my entire life. So which, since. The age of when you could kind of grow facial since, hair since the age of zero, like technically, <laughs> if, like technically, if I if I had some like microscopic fuzz on me, then it's it is still in, with me in spirit now. I, and um, you guys should be amazed. I mean, he's saying when he says not shaved his beard, he's being literal. This thing is two, three feet down <laughs> to the ground, tied in a knot. <laughs> yeah, it's actually how I travel between countries. I just kind of like whip it around and <laughs> throw it out, and then travel across the beard bridge no so you've um, remained bearded since the age where you could i mean you're trimming yeah, obviously but yeah, you've yeah, never yeah. shaved it off no i've never like i've never shaved it back closer than like uh, i don't know half an inch or something like that okay so i i think like maybe one time i got close i don't remember if it was like i shaved my beard or i shaved my hair and i <laughs> and i'd like been out in the sun and I got I got down close enough that I realized that I had a tan line and that the, like <laughs> that I had this like white skin under my beard and this brown face. And I was like, no, 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 we go no further than this. This is as far as we come. And like since that day, I've never I have never seen what lies under the the canopy of this face forest. That's I, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for like someone to challenge me to the to the like charity shave your beard auction thing. Like that's the only way it's going to happen. Okay. So anybody out there? <laughs> yeah. Noted. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm glad, to, I'm glad. I'm glad to be a part of Team Beard. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mine is simply because I look like 16 if I shave it. Yeah. 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 And I don't. I'm, I'm terrified I, that I. No, I'm terrified of that. Like I'm more excited now that I have some gray in it. Actually, yeah. I'm like, yeah. You veterans can trust me. I've seen some things. You know, I've been <laughs> around. I, I really had people even when it was with a beard when i was doing my doctorate i'm like 35 and they were like well you don't know anything you're like 26 i'm like that's like 10 years younger that's <laughs> yeah yeah no i i have a i have like a really weird lack of awareness ab about myself like beard is the kind of thing it's, it comes back to that like i assume everyone's got an imagination right like everybody has I, a beard 
like I don't yeah I don't even notice that I'm a bearded man until someone <laughs> points it out to me I'm like oh, do, oh this this whole thing <laughs> I like I don't know that I'm tall until I'm like at a music festival and someone's like man you're really tall I'm like really I turn around they're like four foot dude behind me is like yeah you're pretty tall can you get out of the way so I can see the stage like yeah so I guess how, I how tall are you oh I'm like six and a bit okay not not like not like ridiculously tall but especially not now that i'm in germany but so um i'm i'm five four i am yeah. Yeah. a short man and um i think th there was a time when i was at a, a pro tour event in san diego and was standing next to like trick matt tabak and like marshall or somebody and i was just like this, this is the <laughs> shortest i have ever felt in my entire life like but you I, were the unique one in that situation, right? I, like you were that you became the special one by default. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm always the special one, but uh, well, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, yes, but it is this very weird thing. To, I mean, I'm guys that are literally a foot taller than me, and I'm just standing there. I'm like, can we get a photo? <laughs> like, <laughs> how do I get in this? <laughs> me and three guys' nipples. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, Adam, um, once again, thank you for taking this this massive amount of time we we just You're cannot welcome. thank you enough for taking your day starting it well midday for you us this is the best way i could have started a day off that i still got up early yeah that's a compliment yes it is. yeah um once again we want to plug that um adam has his instagram he has both a personal one and an mtg one and, and i think you were saying when we did the last recording that personal one is something that is actually something that you would love to see more people from yeah, magic definitely. get to discover and see. Definitely. Yeah. No, I, I link both ways and uh, you know, it's, it's important that my um, friends and followers that like my fine art uh, also know that I, that I have this day job for magic and, and I'm proud of what I do there. And likewise, you know, the people that know my magic work, I would love them to, to see a bit of what I do in my personal time. It's really important that both of those audiences cross over for me. So Appreciate a follow um, on the personal stuff too. Definitely. Any last words, anything offensive that you want to say that'll get us not listened to again? I mean, anything that you want to end with? Controversial mm, opinions about I feel magic? Like I, I feel like I've made it this far. I would be a <laughs> fool, a fool to give up now. No, I, no. Thank, thanks for doing it and uh, yeah. glad, glad to be a part of it and, and support uh, uh, this new and uh, delightfully engaging podcast content. Wow. Joe, you, when you get home, just you're cutting all of these and just one file that we can use in the future. I'm, I'm happy if you just want me to do like one liners, we can like arrange a follow up time for me to do this. Into the happy to do it. That's our show. You can find the podcast at Goblin Lore Pod on Twitter or email any questions, comments, or concerns to goblinlorepodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to support your friendly neighborhood gobslugs, you can do so at patreon.com slash goblinlorepod. This episode of Goblin Lore was hosted by Hobbs Q, who you can find on Twitter at Hobbs Q. This episode was written and co-hosted by Alex Newman, who you can find on Twitter at Alexander New M. Engineering, editing, and production for this episode by Joe Redeman, who you can find on Twitter at Findhorn. That's F-Y-N-D Horn. Our music is by Vintergut, who you can find at wintergatten.com. That's winter, G-A-T-A-N.com. Logo by Stephen Raphael on Twitter at Stephen Raffle. 
Goblin Lore is a presentation of Hipsters of the Coast, which you can find at hipstersofthecoast.com or at hipstersmtg on Twitter. Thank you all for listening. And remember, goblins, like snowflakes, are only dangerous in numbers. <laughs>